He is risen. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Easter Sunday at Veritas Dayton. Uh, we are so, so glad that you're here. Welcome. It's good to be with you. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and I am uh, the pastor here at Veritas Dayton. We're very glad you're here. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 taking a little break from our, our sermon series in Galatians, where we just started a few weeks ago, a, a 20-something, 25, six-week series and uh, Paul's epistle, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we're going to take a little break uh, to look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, to look at the resurrection of our Lord, our God, Jesus Christ. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's, uh, there should be Bibles on the edge of each bench, little white paperback Bibles. You can grab one of those, and you can turn to page uh, 559, I think is what that says, 559, um, and, and 1 Corinthians 15 should be on that page, or at least nearby there if I don't have that right. Uh, all right, if you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word, this is God's holy and precious word, so let us listen with reverence. And with joy, for these are the words of our Lord. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that it is a historical reality. We thank you that our salvation is real because the resurrection of Jesus is real. We thank you for the assurance that we have. We thank you that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things seated at your right hand right now. And that he's present here among us this morning. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us bold faith, Lord, to behold Jesus and to be transformed by him from one degree of glory to the next? We need you for this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. In Acts 17, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, he's in Athens, and he's speaking to a group of uh, philosophers there. And uh, Athens is kind of the, the intellectual and, and cultural hub of the, of the Greco-Roman world at that time. And, and while speaking to them, he tells them about Christ's resurrection. He says to them, 
the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And when this announcement, when this news hit the ears of those philosophers, they were all faced with a decision. In verses 32 through 34 of Acts 17 tells us how they reacted. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. And still today, like on that day, when the resurrection is talked about, some mock, some are skeptical, some begin to be more open to discussion uh, about it, and, and some respond in praise and repentance like doubting Thomas in John 20, 28, where he says, my Lord and my God. Some respond and join and believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now I know in a small room like this, with a, with a small amount of people like this, there are people all over the map in here uh, concerning this gospel of the, the resurrection of Jesus. Some, some of you woke up this morning and you woke up singing resurrection hymns and just overjoyed to be celebrating Easter this morning and, and you're here and you're praising Jesus as your Lord and your God like Doubting Thomas and still some are, are skeptical about this resurrection. You might think that it seems a little unlikely, it's too implausible to actually be true. You're, you're skeptical. Or some of you are unsure, but, but uh, you're, you're curious. You want to know a little bit more. You want to discuss it further. And still others of you have trouble, you, you don't have any trouble believing in the resurrection as a historical reality, but you're, you're having trouble seeing the relevance for us here in Dayton, Ohio, in Ruskin Elementary in 2017, April, Easter morning. And so, I believe that God has a word for us this morning. I believe that he has a word for us this morning because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. It is indeed true, and it is indeed beautiful, and it is indeed good news for us. The gospel has historical proof, and it has very real present power in our midst this morning. The resurrection is a reality uh, that, that God uh, has proved, and, and it's also a means of his powerfully and graciously rescuing sinners. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, and this is not just some irrelevant historical fact from ancient history that bears little on how we live today. Since the resurrection is true, it changes everything for us. And so I want to take the next few moments to talk about this, to look at how the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened. It really happened and it means that God rescues sinners. The, the reality of the resurrection means that God rescues sinners, and that's good news. And so we're going to look at two points, the reality of the resurrection and the rescue of the resurrection. The reality and the rescue of the resurrection. Firstly, the reality of the resurrection. Uh, a few years ago, on an Easter Sunday, a, uh, a news reporter in Australia interviewed a, um, a somewhat famous pastor there about the resurrection. And the reporter asked the bishop, he said, uh, what would you do if you woke up tomorrow and found out that Jesus never rose from the dead? Would you still be a Christian? And the bishop replied, yes, because he's risen in my heart. 
What he's saying in that is that the resurrection, the real resurrection of Jesus Christ is not essential and, and, and central to the Christian faith. He's saying that even if the gospel is not a historical reality, then my personal experience of delusional happiness that I have in Christianity is enough for me. And it, this seems to be more, in, it, more common than, than we could even imagine. A week or so ago, uh, BBC came out with an article citing that 25% of so-called Christians that they interviewed in Britain said that they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a problem. This is a problem. See, the problem with 25 of these, 25% of these so-called Christians saying that they don't believe in the resurrection and the problem of this so-called pastor saying that the resurrection is not an essential and central claim to the Christian faith is that that statement is directly opposed to what the Bible says about the Christian faith. Christianity is not an inconsequential private spirituality. Christianity is real and historic it's, it's public. The central claims of the Christian faith are all based on a historic person, Jesus of Nazareth. And they're all based on the historic events of his life and death and resurrection. And if these things didn't happen, then Christianity is nothing. It's nothing at all. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. Your faith is worthless. You are fools if Jesus is not raised from the dead. This is the principal hinge on which Christianity swings. The resurrection is historic and real, or Christianity is nothing at all. It's a waste of time. If God did not raise Jesus from the dead, then the Christian faith is futile. We might as well pack up all this stuff and go home. We Christians are fools if Christ is not raised from the dead. We are wasting our time. And I often talk with many people uh, who aren't Christians or, or who struggle with Christianity, and they really like parts of Christianity, but they struggle with particular aspects of it. Many people really like the social concern that, that Christians have, and, or, or the community that we all experience, or, or the hope that we have for after we die, but then maybe they don't like the sexual ethics, or the exclusivity of it all, or the organized religion, or they don't like the stuff about judgment when Jesus returns. But listen, none of that really matters. None, none of what you like or don't like about Christianity really matters. What really matters is this, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus rise from the dead? If he didn't, then none of that other stuff even matters. None of what we're doing here matters. The sexual ethics, the exclusivity, the organized religion, the stuff about judgment, you can toss it all if Jesus is not really raised from the dead. But if he's raised from the dead, if he was, then whether or not you like what he says or don't like what he says is of little consequence. You have to accept what he said. Now, some would say that the resurrection is more and more becoming something that people believed in the past, but now due to the progress of, of human reason, it's not something that people will likely believe in for much longer. After all, they say, if there's anything we know about dead people, it's that they typically stay dead, as if pe people in the ancient Greco-Roman world didn't know that. And Jesus of Nazareth, he was really, truly dead. He was dead. There's no doubt about that. There's, there's no historian, no, at least no respected historian out there who would contest this. And so many people 
object to the reality of the resurrection by trying to explain it all away in a number of ways. Some try to explain it away by saying that Jesus didn't really die. He just, he just passed out from the excruciating pain one experiences in crucifixion, kind of like how you feel you're going to here in the moment due to the heat. <laughs> and that's why he was able to get up and, and walk around three days later. But this can't be true. Uh, this, he was executed by Roman soldiers who were master executioners. They stabbed him in his heart. And, 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 and many people, this was done publicly so that many people, friends of Jesus and foes of Jesus and the Roman executioners themselves saw the, the cold, lifeless corpse of Jesus taken off the cross and placed in an empty tomb. Not to mention, even if he had survived all of that, even if he had survived the crucifixion, the asphyxiation from being nailed to the cross for hours, it would have not have been possible for him to get up three days later and just walk around like nothing ever happened. People, people would notice if, 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 uh, if he was walking around not actually in a resurrected body, but still he had just passed out and, and uh, not, not anything had changed, hadn't really died. Not to mention, he wouldn't be able to get up and roll away that massive stone and, and take off all of his grave clothes and walk around for three days. It, it, that seems all much more uh, unlikely than the resurrection itself. And still others try to explain it away by saying uh, that this was all a big fraud. He didn't really rise from the dead because his body was stolen. His body was stolen. But, but really, that doesn't explain it. Uh, who had motive to steal the body? The, the Jews and the Romans would have benefited from Jesus staying dead, staying in the tomb. They wouldn't have stole his body. And still, with the, the disciples, they certainly didn't steal it because they were all convinced that the movement was over with Jesus' death and that they were all just going to go back to their day jobs. Not to mention that, that doesn't explain all of the eyewitnesses that saw Jesus uh, after his resurrection. The, the fact that many of those eyewitnesses even died for their testimony and, and for preaching about the resurrection. You know, people don't die for a lie. People don't die for a fraud. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But that still doesn't explain it. Now, others try to explain it away by saying that, that all of Jesus' friends were just hallucinating at the time uh, of, of, uh, after his death. Uh, this theory seeks to explain the resurrection away by claiming that Jesus' disciples and friends and family, they're all just hallucinating. People sometimes have hallucinations about seeing loved ones after they die. And, you know, they, they all just uh, lo lost this, this person that they loved that was so close to them. And, and in their mourning, they started to hallucinate and think that they were seeing Jesus and, and think that he came back from the dead. But that can't be true. Because there's no way that hundreds of people could be experiencing the same hallucination at the same time and give the same recollection of that event. The, 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 the claim that hundreds of people were experiencing a hallucination recalled everything in the same way is just ludicrous. But even if they did share in some sort of hallucination, that claim could have been easily put to rest. Jesus' resurrection could have easily been put to rest and discredited by the Romans and Jews simply producing the body of Jesus. But they couldn't because the body wasn't there. The tomb was empty. And there are, there are more, even more ludicrous explanations out there, but we don't have time to go through them all. The problem with them all is there's no evidence for any of them. They're just theories many adhere to because they can't fathom someone being raised from the dead. And again, many find these theories acceptable, acceptable because time and experience would tell us that dead people usually stay dead. But as N.T. Wright tells us, the early Christians agreed 
People, dead people, usually stay dead. That's what made the resurrection so astounding. Because you know what we do have evidence for? The resurrection being totally legit. As long as you don't start with the assumption that the resurrection can't be true, the resurrection has as much evidence for it as any other ancient historical event. Here are three big pieces of evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ being a historical reality. And there, there are more, but we have time for three. First of all, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. We see in verse 4 of our text that Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried. But still, there were never any pilgrimages to his grave. His grave was never a site of worship, like with the prophets and kings of Israel. And, and this, most would have, this would have certainly been the case if he, in fact, stayed in the tomb and was dead. It was a very common practice at the time, but it's not the case for Christians because he didn't stay in the tomb. Without an empty tomb, Christianity would have never started to begin with because from its earliest days, it proclaimed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And if these claims could have been put to rest by someone presenting the the dead body of Jesus, his body would have most certainly been presented. No one could display the body, though. No one could display the corpse of Jesus because his body wasn't in the tomb. The the tomb was empty. He's not there. The question is, if if his body's not in the tomb, what happened to it? Which brings us to the eyewitnesses. Notice what Paul says here in our text, starting with verse 3. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. So he died. He really was dead. That he was buried. He was put in the tomb that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so, Paul is able to say in this letter that was going to be read in public to the church in Corinth around 20 years after the resurrection took place that there were hundreds of people who saw Jesus after his resurrection from the dead. And he makes mention of some of them, and he makes mention that some of them had died by this point, but most of them are still alive. And his point in sharing that is that the Corinthian Christians could go speak with these eyewitnesses to get their account of the things that had happened. And he even names some names. He mentions Cephas, which is the apostle Peter, and the rest of the apostles. That's what he means by the 12. And he also explicitly mentions James, which is interesting, because James was the younger brother of Jesus. And, and James, when Jesus walked, James did not believe in Jesus. He did not believe in Jesus. James thought that Jesus was a liar or a lunatic. He mocked Jesus. He was skeptical about his claims. He definitely did not believe that Jesus was Lord. That is, until after his resurrection. After the resurrection, James became a follower of his older brother. James became a pastor in the church. And we even have a letter from James uh, written to a local church, the epistle of James that you can read. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, if you're struggling with believing this resurrection, go speak with one or several of these hundreds of eyewitnesses. They will give their testimony that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Another interesting thing that that Paul doesn't explicitly mention here that gives further proof of the eyewitnesses of of Christ's resurrection is in the Gospels in the New Testament. It say that the first eyewitnesses were actually women. 
And this was written at a time that women's testimonies, they were not permissible in court. Women, they were, they were viewed as the, the lesser sex. They had lower social status. At, at times, women uh, were, at the time, women were seen as if they could not be trusted to give an accurate account of events in court. And so some of the skeptics in, early, uh, in those early days sought to explain Christianity away by saying that the first eyewitnesses were women. They, they said these, these women are, are hysterically giving their account of, of the resurrection. It can't be trusted. These, these women are hysterical females. They can't be relied upon to give an accurate account of the events. But still, each one of the Gospels say that women were the first eyewitnesses. And if the writers of the Gospels were making all of this up, they certainly wouldn't make up that, that, that women were the first eyewitnesses. Or if they felt that they had the freedom to kind of fudge on the details uh, uh, and give a less than accurate account of the events, they would have most certainly either left out that part or changed it completely, but they didn't. There were many eyewitnesses. Many people saw Jesus alive and well three days after his crucifixion and death. And then thirdly, the explosive growth of the church, the explosive church. What else could explain the way that the church exploded onto the scene in the Greco-Roman world and is still sustained to this day? These, these very few poor and often marginalized believers spread the gospel of Christ's resurrection with great boldness and they even suffered and died for it. Despite persecution, despite the martyrdom, despite all of this, they, they spread the gospel of Christ's resurrection with great boldness and even suffered and died for it. Despite the lack of education and the scandalous past of some of these followers, they ended up leading a movement that within three centuries took over the Roman Empire and changed world history forever. James Allen Francis once said that all the armies that ever marched, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned have not had the impact on the world of this one solitary life. And it's true. No matter how much wealth or power anyone ever possessed in history, no one changed history the way that Jesus has. This Jewish man, born of a poor and powerless family in the small town of Bethlehem, who grew up in a town that apparently nothing good could come from, who died the death of a criminal on a cross, he is at the center of world history. He himself, he never led an army. He never carried a sword or wore a crown on his head except one of thorns. He barely had two pennies to rub together. He, he never wrote anything down that we have record of. But today, there are Christians all over the world celebrating the resurrection of this king and celebrating that he's alive and well, which is another testimony to the resurrection. Another testimony, he's alive and the church, he's present with his church today. Despite the church's own weakness and sinfulness in ages past, she is here to this day and here she remains. And all, not only that, but she's ever moving forward in the earth, throughout the world. And today, there are churches all over the world in many languages singing the praises of none other than Jesus of Nazareth, the resurrected Christ. And time doesn't permit to tell of all the other evidences of the resurrection. We have the testimony of the entire Old Testament foretelling the resurrection of Jesus. We have the transformation of the Apostle Paul as we see here in 1 Corinthians 15 after he sees the resurrection of Christ and, and so much more. 
And so to try to explain this any other way, to try to explain the history-altering impact of Jesus or the empty tomb or the eyewitnesses apart from the victorious resurrection requires a greater leap of faith than simply believing the resurrection. What else could explain all of this? The resurrection of Jesus. The res- the Jesus was raised from the dead. This is the only plausible explanation. It's only that Jesus rose from the dead. And the only explanation that fits any of the evidence is that it really happened. But I also want us to see that this is not some irrelevant historical fact from ancient history that bears little on how we live today. Since the resurrection is true, then it changes everything. Since the resurrection is true, it changes this world. That it, we live in a very different kind of world than we naturally think. We live in a very different kind of world in the way that we typically assume it. Everything changes. It, it's, it, it's, it's not just true, it's beautiful. It's not just historical, it's intensely personal. And we don't just have overwhelmingly, uh, an overwhelming amount of evidence for it. It's also got extremely compelling relevance for how we live our life today. And this brings us to point two where we see the rescue of the resurrection. The resurrection is not just a historical detail removed from our life and experience today as Christians. The resurrection is our hope and our assurance. The, the resurrection means that God is not withdrawn from and distant from this world. He is intimately involved in this world. He is present in this world. He is filling this world. He is at work in this world. This is his world. He has claimed it for his own. And the way that he's intimately involved in this world is by rescuing it from sin and death and destruction. One day, the entire cosmos will experience the power of resurrection. And on that day, there will be no more death, no more sickness, no more tears or tragedy, no more pain or poverty, no more racism or classism or sexism or pollution or whatever, you name it. The entire cosmos, this world we live in, will be made new and will experience resurrection. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of. It's the beginning of our bodily resurrection. It's the beginning of the entire universe being made new. The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of that. Michael Reeves says that the empty tomb is the womb of the new creation. As the king of this world who was raised from the dead, he's reversed all that cursed it. And in so doing, he has ushered in a new age where all things will be made new. And by all things, I mean all things. That's what's coming when Jesus returns. He's coming to claim this world as what's rightfully is and to judge all who contest his rule and reign. And until that day comes, he's still at work to include us in this new creation project that he's ushered in in his resurrection. The resurrection means that God rescues sinners. Stanley Hauerwas once said, the resurrection of Jesus announces that Christians can do nothing to alienate God's steadfast will and love to forgive them. Look at verses 1 to 2 of 1 Corinthians 15 here. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The Corinthians received the gospel of Christ's death for our sins and the resurrection victory. They were, at the time of receiving this letter, they were standing in the gospel and they were being saved by this gospel. And some of you this morning need to receive this gospel. 
and begin to stand in this gospel. Ephesians 2.1 says that if you have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You, you, you are dead to the promises of God. You are spiritually dead. And I know that looks can be deceiving because if you're here this morning, biologically speaking, you're very much alive. But spiritually, you are dead in your sins. And there's nothing that you can do to change that. That's the bad news. But there's good news in the resurrection of Jesus for you because Jesus has overcome death in his resurrection. Jesus once said to a woman in a small village outside of Jerusalem these words, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so if you're here this morning and you want to receive and stand in the gospel, if you want to be rescued in the gospel, all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's no sin beyond forgiveness. There's no situation too hopeless. There's no person too far gone. There's no family beyond repair. There's nothing or no one beyond restoration. The most ruined life can be redeemed and restored because Jesus has risen from the dead. And in so doing, he has reversed death itself, our greatest enemy. Some of you need to receive the gospel. And others of us here this morning have already received the gospel, but we need to still hear this message of good news of the resurrection of Jesus this morning because his resurrection is how we continue to stand and continue to be saved. Now, that doesn't mean that our, our salvation is not complete and finished. It is. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross and breathed his last breath and rose from the dead, three days later, your salvation was finished. It's complete. It's done. It's as good as finished. But we do need to continually grow in Christ-likeness and remain firm in our faith. And the empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news for you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're feeling weak, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're feeling tired, if you're wondering if God cares, if you wonder when you pray, who knows if any of this is even true, you can rest assured because God has given us his answer in the resurrection of Jesus. And his answer is, yes, it's real. Yes, your salvation is real. Yes, I hear your prayers. Yes, I am with you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the divine yes to all of our deepest longings. And it's the cure to our most crippling doubts. We can have assurance in the resurrection of Jesus that our hope is not delusional, our faith is not baseless. So take heart be strengthened because Christians, we have a load of work to do. Not everyone has heard the good news that God has conquered death in Christ Jesus. Not everyone has heard that Jesus is the risen and ascended king who rules over all creation. And because that's the case, he sends us out as an embassy of his kingdom of grace, armed with the gospel to war against all that damages his good creation to announce to all that resurrection has come. New life is yours if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And this message can renew the most wrecked of lives. It can change the most mangled of families. It can renew the darkest of neighborhoods because Jesus is alive. The reality of the resurrection 
means that God rescues sinners. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have the assurance of our forgiveness and of your presence in our midst and of your work in this world of the resurrection of Jesus. We have assurance in that because it's a historical reality. We thank you that it's not just a historical reality that's far removed from, uh, from the relevance of everyday life. It's, it's a very real comfort, real assurance, real hope with us this morning. And so now as we come to a time of receiving the Lord's Supper, we ask that you would assure our hearts again. We ask, Lord, that you would bless the bread and the cup. Lord, that, that you would help us by faith to feast on the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus in heaven. Lord, that, that you would show forth your presence in our hearts. Help us to behold your glory in the face of Jesus Christ as we receive this meal and to be assured he is alive and he is with us this morning because he said, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a wonderful assurance. Would you be with us now in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen.